0: You're listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast, a program dedicated to advocating for a biblical worldview by encouraging Christian growth and ministry from a biblical perspective.
1: Well, welcome to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. I'm Mike Hess. I serve as national rep at the GRBC, and I'm here with the lead pastor at College Park Church, Mark Vrogop. And Mark serves as a lead pastor of College Park Church here in Indianapolis. Thank you for being here, Mark.
0: Mike, it's great to be with you. Welcome to Indy, and thankful for our uh, opportunity to talk together today.
1: Yeah, thank you. Uh, Mark is going to be the keynote speaker at this year's GRBC National Conference in Des Moines, Iowa. And uh, Mark has been a big influence on my life with uh, the preaching of the Word. I first heard him at a biblical counseling conference, I believe, back in 2011. And I've always appreciated his handling of the Word from an exegetical perspective, and what God is really doing at, at this church, it's, it's incredible, and it's a testimony of, of God's goodness and grace. Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself, your testimony, about your wife, children, your current ministry.
0: Yeah, happy to. So I'm privileged to be raised in a uh, Christian home, parents who love Jesus, and uh, my parents um, helped us to understand the value of the Word and uh, what it meant to be followers of uh, Jesus, uh, in the western Michigan area, uh, they made a pretty gutsy call in, uh, when I was about 10, 11 years old. They, they left a, a church that, denomination that they'd kind of been raised in, and we ended up moving to a Baptist church, and the uh, whole family was baptized uh, in the context of um, that uh, spiritual kind of renewal moment uh, for our family. And I heard the gospel clearly for the first time at a vacation Bible school, uh, not at my home church, but at some other church. Uh, came to faith in Christ at around uh, age uh, 10 or so. And then along with that, conversion was a simultaneous call to ministry. Like, I remember mm-hmm. wanting to receive Christ and then almost instantly feeling like I want to give my life to uh, the gospel work. Wow. I remember sitting in services, hearing a pastor deliver messages and thinking, that's what I want to do with my life. Mm-hmm. And just even the sense, like physically feeling like my heart was on fire as he was delivering um, God's word. Mm-hmm. Uh, my mom was a teaching leader at a Bible study, uh, Bible study fellowship. So I grew up in a home where her standard study method was to listen to John MacArthur, Chuck Swindoll, Charles Stanley in the car all the time. I thought that's how every kid in America grew up, hmm. and um, so I was just really thankful for that uh, godly uh, heritage and for the way in which that helped to shape not only my upbringing, but also my view of the world, the church, and uh, thankful that God in His grace placed me in that kind of family where I heard the gospel early and was uh, baptized and followed Jesus uh, in my uh, younger years.
1: Awesome. And how old were you about roughly when you were converted?
0: I was about 10 years old.
1: Awesome. That's great. Tell us about your, your wife and your children and the family God's blessed you with.
0: Yeah, I've been married to my wife, Sarah, now over 25 years <laughs> we met while at uh, Cedarville University as students there, and uh, we have uh, four uh, children, uh, three boys, two that are twins, who are uh, one who's married, uh, one who's graduating, both are graduating uh, from college, another 19-year-old son, a 13-year-old daughter. So we're a uh, family that's kind of got two worlds going on at the same time. We've got kids who are trying to do the adult world, and then we also have a a daughter uh, at home who's... Making our way into teenage years and uh, and all that, so we're we love um, uh, our family and the opportunities to be able to be together and follow Jesus together.
1: Great, great. Your current ministry here—you've been at College Park since 2008, I believe, as a lead pastor. Yeah. Could you tell us a little bit about your responsibilities here at this really remarkable church that God is doing some powerful things at?
0: Yeah. Came here in 2008, um, and uh, College Park had been prior to that time a um, a really strong uh, ministry planted in the 1980s, and um, under the leadership of uh, Kimber Kaufman, and uh, just was able to come and help the church grow uh, from where it was in 2008 to you know where we are now, 2019. Expanded some things related to uh, global uh, footprint, urban ministry. Church grew in size uh, since that time. So my role has changed a little bit over the years. When I first came here with a church transition, there were some some challenges that were uh, you know part of the reason why I was 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 brought here in 2008. I had to be more really kind of hands on um, on the ground, helping the the church to um, kind of find a new a new chapter. And uh, now. Uh, Praise God with uh, strong, healthy elders and a staff team that's uh, really grown and developed and uh, church planting movement. My main responsibilities really relate to uh, the regular proclamation of the word. So interestingly enough, that hasn't changed. Uh, Then also, I spent a lot of time mentoring and helping to develop high-capacity leaders, whether that's lay leaders or we have a pastoral residency, guys coming here after seminary, college, Um, and then also just um, helping our church think through what's our strategy to reach our city, Um, and as we're launching churches, helping those uh, lead pastors Um, help them to try and think through how to be faithful men faithful leaders, faithful husbands just last evening all of them and their wives were in our basement and we had dinner together just talking about um, last night's discussion was how do you say no to things Mm. and just a kind of a community of uh, of lead uh, lead pastors, and then also I'm involved in you know the care of our, of our people with uh, shepherding, and um, as there's a time and opportunity to to care for people on a on a one to one basis as uh, much as you can in a in a larger church setting.
1: That's awesome, and this is a larger church setting. But you have been real faithful. College Park has been, and I really appreciate this in planting new churches, sending some of your core cream of the crop people away to start other churches in this area. How many? churches has has your church birthed?
0: Yeah, since 2014 we started something called the Next Door Mission which was a vision to not just be interested in what's happening around the world. We had a heavy missions focus or just in the urban core. So we've worked on renovating uh, a neighborhood and our people have moved down there and mm-hmm. bought houses planted a church in that region. So since since 2014, we've uh, planted now a total of 4 churches. Mm-hmm. In fact, last Sunday was just the launch of our most recent church plant. So um, it's a long uh, beautiful story but it originally started kind of as a multi-site um, vision and then as we got into it we rethought kind of how this was going to work in terms of polity and ecclesiology and I jokingly say our congregationalism ate our multi-site strategy for breakfast mm, nice. and uh, what happened is, is we just realized these folks want them contextualizing their ministries we pivoted from a multi-site model to a church planting model uh, from a video venue to live teaching mm. and uh, so right now we've got um, College Park Fishers, and by the way, all of these churches are going to have to find their own names um, in the next uh, number of years. So, College Park Fishers, College Park uh, Castleton, College Park Greenwood, and now our most recent one, uh, One Fellowship, which is uh, really the one that um, has some really unique potential to it. It's a multi ethnic uh, church plant. so We sent uh, about 100, 150 of our leaders, uh, some uh, minority uh, leaders, some uh, white uh, leaders. And uh, that that uh, church is in the most um, ethnically intense suburb area in the city of Indianapolis, and they meet at a YMCA. And it's just a remarkable uh, group of people. They're gonna they're gonna change uh, those neighborhoods for the glory of God. I just can't wait to see what happens.
1: Praise God. That's really you know you share a heartbeat of ours within the GRBC with our church planning, church revitalization initiatives, and churches like this really are a model of that, using the resources God's blessed them with to spread out and um, continue to do Great Commission work in the area God has placed them. Uh, Mark, you recently wrote a book, and it's been a blessing to me. I'm a few pages away from being done. My wife and I have been really blessed by this, so thank you for your work on this. Thank you for sharing your heart. And really thankful for your faithful biblical exposition, especially just in the book of Lamentations alone. That was really helpful. Uh, give us a quick summary of, of your book that I wish was published by Regular Baptist Press, but it's not. But we're still grateful for this. And I'd still encourage people to get a copy of this. This would be real helpful for them. And this would be a great pastoral tool to give to hurting people. In your church, because that's such a big component of pastoral ministry.
0: It is, yeah, yeah. Title of the book is "Dark Clouds, Deep Mercy: Rediscovering, or Discovering Rather, the Grace of Lament." And it was birthed out of our own journey of a stillborn daughter in two thousand and four, and then just trying to figure out personally and pastorally how do we navigate our way through this, realizing that it felt like something was missing in the conversation uh, about grief. And as we began to read the Bible, began to teach. Um, read the Bible through this lens and to be able to teach on grief through the Psalms and eventually through lamentations, people just kind of came out of the woodwork with something like this is really resonating uh, with us of what it's like to be honest with God about what I'm really wrestling with while at the same time allowing that uh, divinely given language of lament to lead Mm -hmm. us to a place of... uh, of recommitment and trusting in God's purposes and sovereignty. So I define lament as a prayer in pain that leads to trust and uh, walk people through kind of what is the sort of core ingredients of lament. How can they put it into practice? How does the book of Lamentations intersect with that conversation? And then what are the various ways that they could use lament in the context of uh, their personal lives, their small groups, their churches, Um, wherever there's grief uh, wherever there are Christians, lament should be present. And yeah. so I think that the, the, the topic of lament is uh, something that is resonating with people because grief and sorrow is uh, pretty, pretty widespread. Mm-hmm. And I argue in the book that of all the people on earth who ought to understand this biblical language, it ought to be Christians. Yeah. We, we know the story of God's redemptive plan. We're the ones waiting in the in-between world for Jesus to come. And so in between, we, we lament.
1: Amen. Yeah, thank you. Let's shift gears a little bit here to the topic and the theme of the National Conference. If I could ask, what are some of the things that you go into or some of the thought that is given to uh, planning a worship service here at College Park? Because I doubt, very seriously, that's just thrown together on Saturday night and you show up Sunday morning.
0: Yeah. So
1: what are some things that you and the leadership here What are some of the thoughts that are put into that
0: yeah well we have a team of people at lots of levels a couple different teams that all kind of interact on the sunday morning uh worship and it starts though with getting kind of the big rock in the place first which is what is the particular set of scriptures that we're going to be exegeting on that sunday so i have a preaching calendar i've planned um our our sermon themes and our texts out for a year and uh, then have a brief description um, with those sermons as to kind of where I think the, the sermon is going to go. And that then goes to a, ser- a service design team, and they meet about uh, three to four weeks in advance of Sunday. And it's a cross-section of people from different walks of life, some staff, some lay, and they just sort of uh, create a, um, a, a workflow dream of what the, what the service could look like, from song selection, trying to be sure that we're speaking excuse me speaking the uh, the heart language of all of our people and then also what elements are going to be a part of the service so that we can help people to stay engaged in the the flow of service. And we want there to be a consistent thread all the way through that people can really uh, turn off all the other distractions in life Mm -hmm. for an hour, hour and a half, and simply be in the presence um, of Jesus, believing that um, that particular corporate gathering opportunity is the thing people need, and it's the thing that they don't experience in any other setting apart from Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And so we have other things that we're adding in on a, on a fairly regular rhythm, whether it's Lord's Table or baptisms or child dedications mm-hmm. or missionaries commissioning. And so all that's kind of built into the uh, the schedule as well. And then we also really prize and value uh, creativity. We Although we publish the order of the service in the, in the bulletin so people can know kind of where it's going, that order of service, almost by design, is never the same week-to-week mm-hmm. uh, because we want people to um, feel like uh, Sundays are a fresh experience of God's grace.
1: Awesome. So that it's unpredictable every Sunday then.
0: It is. It's I mean, crazy. the elements that are the same, you know, but we intentionally try and move them around. Like this Sunday mm-hmm. we ended with a song, but, uh, you know, we won't do that every single Sunday. Um, and try and, uh, the offering this last week was taken in front of the, the sermon, and I give a little... Three minute um, encouragement of our people how to think about generosity. We we'll don't do that every week, but we did it this week.
1: That's good. That's interesting. That's, that's a wise thought with that. Also, along the lines of worship, could you share with us? You're speaking three times in our national conference in Des Moines, Iowa. Uh, if you could share with us what you're going to be preaching on.
0: Sure. Yeah, my desire is to kind of walk through three particular uh, messages taken from three really signature texts. Uh, the first one from Hebrews chapter ten is just what is the what's the purpose of worship and why is the on the negative side neglecting the assembly of God's people a really bad decision mm-hmm. and in light of that why should pastors and leaders view Sunday morning as a really, really significant uh, moment in the life of the church, unlike any other gathering throughout the course of the week. So Sunday morning, the congregation gathered needs to be seen for what it is, a very special meeting of of God's people Mm -hmm. with God. Mindful that there's lost people in the room? Absolutely. But the primary focus is let's be sure we understand who God is so we can know who we are. All week long, we hear all kinds of lies about Mm -hmm. um, who we are, and Sunday is the day that we're able to reconnect to that truth. The second uh, sermon is going to be on the subject of the harmony of worship. And, you know, we're all familiar with the worship wars. Uh, mm-hmm. Every church has them. We have them. I think every church since the very beginning of time has had to have them at some level. And how do we how do we think about um, coming to church through a lens of uh, being able to worship with things that I like and also things that I don't like and what's my attitude and my heart condition as I come into worship. So just a few weeks ago, for example, we were singing a song that I just didn't like. It wasn't unbiblical, it wasn't unscriptural. There's was nothing mm-hmm. biblically wrong with it. It just wasn't my cup of tea. And I was kind of distracted. And then I saw over the corner uh, a woman in our church who I love and she was all into it. And suddenly my heart was able to worship because I saw her worshiping mm-hmm. and I could yield my preference because of her delight. And so mm-hmm. I think that's that's really important. And then, third, we're going to talk just a little bit about the language of lament as it relates to worship. I think there's far more people that are um, filled with sorrow and difficulty than what we even realize. And although a third of the Psalms are lament, um, generously, maybe 5% of the present songs that we sing have anything to do with lament. So I think that in general, the 21st century white evangelical church doesn't really know how to lament and just want to help that be a category for pastors to think about and to find maybe ways in their services over maybe the next year not every sunday for sure um but where they could just think about how to add this language into their uh, corporate worship settings
1: what would you say to the pastor who's listening to this and saying well mark that's great for you You know, when you look at your worship services, you've got a team. Most of your staff has been to seminary. They know how to think biblically about this. Uh, We're just not at that level. They might have one piano player. They may not have any piano players and use a soundtrack on Sunday morning. What would you say to an inexperienced pastor or maybe the seasoned pastor as to how they can lead their church well into thinking biblically about worship, where the basis of their worship is not mysticism sentimentality their traditional preference even and there might be some some deeply seated thoughts with that and i understand that but how can how can a man gently yet boldly lovingly shepherd his church through that in, in kind of a gentle shepherd good shepherd kind of way and and pastorally leading them to a christ-centered biblically saturated uh god exalting view of worship
0: yeah I think what people um, in smaller churches maybe tend to forget is that most people actually grew up in those kind of churches. Mm -hmm. And so they're actually longing for that kind of close and intimate experience. And if you've got a a, a good worship leader in the context of people who are genuinely seeking after the Lord, that level of authenticity is something that we talk about all the time, how to get to authenticity. Mm -hmm. And so I think the, the helpful thing is for people in um, smaller sized churches to realize that genuine, heartfelt, authentic worship leaders who maybe can't kill it on the guitar or don't can't aren't the greatest piano players or maybe aren't you know the absolute best singers in the world. They they, they can still lead a congregation of people uh, into a a regular rhythm of uh, corporate worship. I think sometimes we we overestimate um, what people's expectations are. Uh, you know, I remember in, in a in a speech class that the definition of a good speech was a good man speaking. And the same is true for a sermon. You know, you could have the most phenomenal expositor, but if people don't know him, mm-hmm. his ability to have long lasting impact is pretty limited. And I've, I, you know, I've found that um, when people know their pastor, when they know their song leader, they, they, they give them a lot of grace to um, be able to use the gifts that God has given them. And so I think, you you could be tempted to be overly discontent and actually miss the beautiful thing that God has actually given you. And then you can see that grow over time. I saw that grow in my last church as God added people and our expertise got a little better. And, um, at the same time, you know, people, we work all day long here, how to make a big church feel small. Hmm. And, uh, so, um, most people are longing for that kind of intimate gathering. And so I wouldn't want anybody to think, man, that's subpar compared to a large church in some respects it actually can be better
1: yeah that's that's some wise thinking there and and understanding just looking at a context and coming to a conference a lot of guys can come and be disillusioned thinking well i just don't minister in this world but we want you those of you listening to this coming to the national conference i think it's very important right now we're just a couple of months away to be praying for the speakers Uh, I know Mark would cover your prayers. I cover your prayers. Uh, We also have uh, Ross Shannon speaking, a pastor in Michigan, and also Mike Augsburger, pastor in Des Moines, Iowa, and also John Jenks, uh, the state rep in Wisconsin, all of us talking from various passages on the subject of worship. Hope you can join us there. Uh, If you go online, grbcconference.org, that gives you all the registration detail. Thank you, Mark, so much for your time. Uh, Thank you to those of you listening. May God be richly glorified in your lives as you seek to please him in all things.
0: Thank you for listening to the Baptist Bulletin Podcast. The regular Baptist network of ministries exists to make disciples through healthy local churches. If you like this podcast, subscribe to your podcast platform of choice. You can find out more about our ministries at garbc.org and follow Regular Baptist Ministries on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.